Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to Well Far, the weekly running podcast that will be by your side as you train for 26.2. It's hosted by me, Amy Hopkinson. By day, I'm Women's Health Digital Editor, but when not in the office, I'm a marathon runner too. So this year, with the race on the horizon, I'm here to help with blisters and bruises, runners' highs and lows, what to eat before Sunday run day, and how the heck you refuel after. By now, hopefully you've been out on your first runs and wrapped your head around your training plan, arguably one of the hardest things about marathon training, if you ask me. So today, it's time to talk about why mileage is only one part of making it to race day. Because if you want to get to the start line healthy which most run coaches would agree is the ultimate goal of any training plan, you need to avoid some common marathon training mistakes. Welcome back, everyone. It's time for Welfare Episode 3. I'm going to start by saying happy Sunday run day to everyone pulling on their kit and going out today. So what are we going to talk about today? I thought we'd talk about the niggles and bugbears of marathon training. For me, it's been the week when I've been really getting to grips with running a double digit distance. And by that, I mean 10 miles or more, which means I can no longer grin and bear it through kit niggles as they're just far too annoying when you're running for over an hour. So I'm going to talk you through some of the things which I've been tackling this week. First of actually getting in my gym kit on a very dark and a very early morning. So one of the things that I've been doing is putting my kit on the bathroom radiator the night before so that when I wake up in the morning, at least I've got warm kit to put on. It's a little bit like a warm lycra hug. The second thing is chafe. I don't think it matters what size or shape you are. Chafe is just a bit of a problem for runners. I find it especially bad during the winter when I perhaps put on too many layers because I think it's colder outside than what it is. And then I get maybe a bit too hot, I sweat, and then I start to chafe under my armpits from where my sports bra digs into that kind of little tiny podgy bit of fat which just seems to sit next to your strap. So one of the things which I've got back into using this week again is a product called Body Glide. I literally just put it on the areas which can cause me any kind of annoyance and it really, really does seem to help me out. The next thing to talk about is sports bras. So there is nothing worse in my mind than a sports bra that's either too loose or too tight or maybe gapes around the back. And when you're on your long run, it is just so annoying. So one of the things I did last year was go and get fitted for a proper running bra And now I wear these on repeat. Two brands which I wear a lot of are Triumph and Lululemon. Um, I look for bras which have adjustable straps and a clasp back so that you can really get that decent fit. 
The other niggle which I've realised this week and also overcome is socks. So in episode one, Emma told us how important it was to get proper running socks because of the fabrics. And so what I've done this week is dug back out my socks from last year and made sure that I've got them close and also invested in a couple of new pairs. I believe that you only really need a couple of pairs or one pair of something for marathon training because you can just wash it and then wear it on repeat. So I look for socks with anti-stink technology, such as silver. These help keep my feet dry. And I also look for socks with cushioning so that they help my trainers fit better. Um, that has been a game changer on my runs. And then moving on to the next niggle of running, and that is leggings or leggings which don't fit properly. I've definitely been through my fair share of leggings and have come to the conclusion that for me to really love a pair of running leggings, they've got to have three things. Pockets. I love pockets on leggings so that I can stash my phone in the side or my house keys or a running gel and do that rather than having to wear a running belt. I also love leggings with reflective panels because I'm either running early morning or late at night. And so I like to know that when cars go past, they can at least see some sort of reflectivity. And then the other thing which I love is an adjustable waistband on the inside of the leggings, just so that I can tie them up really tight so that they don't slip when running along. Obviously, gym kit, running kit, it can all get quite expensive. Um, but one of the ways to actually spend less on this or to be a bit savvy with your spending is to either to head to somewhere like Sports Direct because they sell all the big brands cheap or head to an outlet village. Last year, I actually bought two pairs of marathon trainers from the Nike outlet because I had one for the treadmill and one for outside and I paid about 30 quid per pair of trainers. So definitely, definitely, definitely look at where you can get things cheaper. Or the other high street shop that I do like is Gap. I still have some of their kit from three years ago and it's still going strong. And then my last kind of bugbear of marathon training is not being able to find all this kit before a long run. So you know what it's like, you'll open up your drawers and you will find your leggings, but then you can't find your sports bra or you can't find your long top or lo and behold, there is only one sock in the sock drawer. So here is my tip for that. When doing the washing, I outfit it up. So I put away my leggings with a sports bra on top, with a top on top of that and a pair of socks. This means that when you're getting up and you're going out on a run, you just need to take one pile out and then dress yourself top to toe and you're ready to go. And then moving on to the last bugbear of marathon training, and that's not having enough time. And when that happens, the one thing which always slips is my yoga practice. And so this week I've been really getting into the free yoga for runners on YouTube. And there's two people who I really like. One is Annie Clark, known as Mind Body Bowl, and she filmed a Yoga for Runner series last year, which is totally, totally right for this year too. And the second one is Yoga for Adrian, who has a whole library of free yoga videos. And so there you go. That's all the kind of the kit niggles, marathon bugbears that I've been overcoming this week. Do let me know how your training's going. I've been loving seeing all the posts with hashtag welfare. You women are amazing. Um, keep going and let's check in again next week. Now on to this week's guests. Today, 
I'm in the studio with Luke Worthington. He's a qualified sports scientist and Nike trainer who has a lifetime of experience in international and elite level sport. In fact, he once won a world record in rowing, although he doesn't offer brag about it, but he should. He specialises in biomechanics and is the very best movement neurologist or expert in brain stuff, as he likes to explain it to me, meaning he is in very high demand in London. He's really good at getting people to train hard but well, which is something I know about as he got me through London Marathon 2018. He's also got a very cute dog, but that's less relevant. So today, welcome Luke. Thank you. Hello, Amy. So you've got a background in keeping athletes and sports people injury free so they can perform at their very best. Basically, it means you know about training plans. So what are the basics of any training plan? The basic of the training plan is firstly to have a plan. Um, it, was, it sounds sounds silly, but you'd be surprised how many people start on some kind of journey without having any idea of really where it's going, or probably more importantly, where it started. It, particularly this time of year, you know, obviously it's out here it's January and gyms are packed and people are you know, running the streets and getting fit and or aiming to get fit, but without really having a, a any sort of direction or or put a goal perhaps down on paper to say, well, actually, I want to achieve. X, Y, Z. I actually know that quite well, where you wake up and you're like, I just need to do something, anything, yeah. and then you just go off and do it. So when you say that you need to have a goal, is that you saying that you need to know where you're starting from and then where you want to get to? Well, well both. It's If you think about it as any journey, it's, kind of, it's getting from point A to point B. Point B might be, I want to do my first marathon. It might be, <laughs> you know, I want to fit into my wedding dress. Or it might be, you know, I want to make the... World Cup team. It could be anything. Depends on where you're at, um, what your what your goal may be. So that might be your point B. Some people will have an idea of what that is, but what a lot of people are lacking is an understanding of where they are right now. Um, and you've got far more chance of figuring out how to get somewhere if you know where you are. If that makes sense. Um, so having a, a proper understanding of your you know your fitness levels, your movement ability, your your, your mechanics, every, everything will help you then plan a route from where you are to where you want to get to. So for all the runners which are on their journey at the moment, how do they figure out their starting point? Well, if they are able to, I would say get assessed is is super important. If you have access to you know, suitably qualified and experienced trainer who's got some kind of background in mechanics, biomechanics, that would be a great place to start. Get an idea of where you're at. If they don't, there are many, many, many very good amateur athletics clubs, track clubs, running groups that will have coaches that will be able to help people understand what their starting point is. Okay. What the hell is biomechanics? Because I feel <laughs> right. I feel like I know that's quite obviously quite a, a quite a big question because there's quite a lot which goes into it, but it's one of those terms which gets banded about and I think people like potentially myself use, but actually we don't understand what it is. Simply put, it's a science of human movement. Right. So that's that would be your kind of your dictionary definition, if you like. What that really means is just kind of looking under the hood of how somebody does a particular task. So how you are sitting on your chair at the moment, how you might then stand up when we're done, how you might walk upstairs, all of those things. It's un, it's having an appreciation, understanding of how a body moves, but then uh, it's even though people don't like using the phrases like should but really how it should move. Um, you know, there are, your, your body has evolved to move in a particular way to avoid excessive wear and tear. Um, in the same way that, for example, your car might, if you, I think people can probably understand what you're getting the 
alignment is on the on their car, getting all four wheels pointing in the same direction. If that's slightly off, one tire might might wear down quicker than the others. Um, same thing can happen in your body. If things aren't quite moving the way they're supposed to, you can end up with yeah, a knee hurting. Well, the other one is fine, or you know, a, a back that's slightly out of whack, or grumpy shoulders, or any of the above. Really, um, you know, your body should be pretty robust. It should be able to cope with most things that we ask it to do. Um, if for whatever reason it can't, there's almost always an underlying mechanical reason why. Which I suppose when you're thinking about marathons is really important because you're not just doing a movement once or twice, you're doing it repeatedly for, yeah, yeah. say, so four it's, hours. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So it's it's one thing looking at somebody do you know a bench press or a press-up or a squat in the gym. But if you imagine, you know, as you say, that's somebody doing three, four, five, ten reps, for example, um, whereas running a marathon, they're doing tens of thousands of the same rep over and over and over again. Oh, and, my God, it sounds so scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and but then think of it also in the fact that you know let's say it's four hours long hour number four or how half hour number eight they're doing that under extreme mental physical emotional fatigue where mm. then that's when technique starts to break down and that's when they're not necessarily when you you'll know you've done one um, <laughs> where it's not necessarily the first thing in your mind is well, how where are my shoulders where you know is my jaw relaxed am I am I swinging my arms it's it's get me to the end like and where's the food yeah yeah <laughs> or where's the rose yeah where's the toilet yeah. <laughs> it's, um, yeah so really what we have to think of is imprinting for want of a better word sound solid mechanically strong movement as much as possible in these early stages of someone's training so that then when they're in half hour number eight just kind of reaching for the end of that marathon they're still they can still hang on to that and that's where the gym comes in. That's where the gym comes in. Yeah, it's it's kind of getting fit to run rather than running to get fit. Oh, yeah, catchphrase. That is a catchphrase. Hashtag getting fit to run. How how should people be approaching that at the moment in the gym? If we think of someone that's on a journey like yours, mm-hmm. um, so someone who's training for a marathon, we're now in January, so we're in a, a kind of a building the foundation stage. So this early stage is very much about get, getting strong. You know, you, I talk a lot to people about like bulletproofing themselves in this early stage so it doesn't have to be anything that this is their gym work not their road work so think of it in two two different ways so they they do their they, they actually build up their capacity to run by running the stuff they do in the gym helps their body become resilient enough to cope with the demands of that running okay so that should be consisting of like primal movement patterns so that is your squats your deadlifts your pushes your pulls and it's as simple as that break that down a little bit more for us Okay. <laughs> um, so I quite often say this to, to trainers that come on seminars that I do, and I, I'll ask them to name how many movements. So, you know, we often would deliver seminars in a gym, and I'll say to them, look, go out there in the gym and tell me how many movements can you do? And you get answers back in hundreds, 400, 10,000, a million. Um, and they're right, but they're also wrong. They're right in that there are an, an unlimited number of variations of movement that you can do. But fundamentally, there are not that many. <laughs> there, are, there are eight. If we break that down even further, you've got your squats, which is two feet on the floor and your body going up and down, your hips going up and down. Yeah. You've got your deadlift, so your hinges, which is your feet on the floor and your hips going back and forward. So that's lifting something heavy off the floor. You've got single leg variations of both of those. So single leg squats, which is all of your lunges, etc. You've got single leg deadlifts, which are 
exactly as they sound, but also in there would be like your your step ups, anything that's a that's a hinge, um, but you've just got one foot on the ground at a time. Okay. All right. You've then got um, pushes and pulls, so like a, a press up and a pull up is yep. a good example of a push and pull. You've then got your core work, which is really resisting movement rather than promoting it, and that works in various planes, but fundamentally that's just getting strong through your middle. If you look at any movement or sequence of movements, so any sporting movement, athletic movement, or you know, dancing movement, or whatever you want to think of, you can consider each one as a sequence of those fundamental movement patterns. Running is, is even more simple, really. Like your single leg hinge pattern on one leg, followed by your single leg hinge pattern on the other leg, and then repeat. And so that's why it's really important in these early stages to build the strength yeah. to be able to do that. Well, if you think about what running consists of, so it's so in biomechanical terms, you've got contralateral hip flexion extension. Sounds mega complicated. It's not yeah. really. It's, <laughs> I, was about, I, was, <laughs> I was about to say, right. please don't maybe repeat that. Yeah. What, what that means is just putting one foot in front of the other and repeat, basically, you know, tens of thousands of times so you get really tired. But if you just, if you look at it, if you take your, go one step back from that and just look at somebody running take me for example so I, I weigh 100 kilos so in order for me to run I've got to propel 100 kilos from one foot through the air I've then got to land another foot on the floor absorb that 100 kilos plus the momentum without damaging myself absorb that force reverse it propel it the other way and then repeat to get from one leg back to the other so that's quite a lot of force I've got to produce and then absorb over and over and over and over again yeah. And that's just the legs. So there's arms, there's core, there's other other stuff involved in there as well. And so how would you go about doing that? What are the key exercises which runners should be doing at the moment? All right, so I keep it very, very simple with my athletes in this in this beginning. So if we have someone on a marathon journey, mm-hmm. this would be phase one, which is just get strong. So I would be working with my athletes, and I'm doing many, and I'm doing another one later on this afternoon, in fact, who's a first-time marathon runner. And what we'll be doing with her is she is learning how to deadlift okay which sounds very much like oh that's very gym bro thing (laughs) for a marathon runner to do not at all she needs to learn how to produce force with her hips hinge through her hips and produce that movement pattern firstly under load so she's strong enough to propel her body weight but secondly she needs to do it while she's fatigued so that she can cope with doing that at the end of her run that yep. makes me think of, of last season, well, last season, last year, when you trained me for the marathon and we did plenty of sessions where you tire, tire me out and then make me stand on, step up onto a box, one yeah. leg after each other. And you yeah. were like, this is what it's going to feel like after three hours. Yeah. Well, that was that was more towards the late, that was when we were shifted from stage one to more of the running specific drills. Yeah. So stage one is very much learn to deadlift, learn to squat, learn to press, learn to pull. Um, get stronger at all of those so therefore you've just built some foundations stage two is then when it starts to look a bit more fancy which is when you do we were doing some of the exercises you you just referred to Um, that's when we start looking to replicate the the actions of the run um, and get stronger in very specific movement in very specific movements Um, so that's when we were stepping on and off the box that's when you were doing your kind of fancy cable exercises going up and down onto one knee and then the other knee um, everything that, that looked from the outside, like, ah, oh, that looks like someone's training for a run. Okay. So step one for a runner would look very similar, if not identical, to step one for a figure skater or right. a tennis player or a scuba diver or anyone, really. It's yeah. first and foremost, just get stronger. 
yep. get able to produce force, withstand external force. And you do that for about four weeks? Yeah, four to six weeks. Um, and then we move into step two, which is then let's now try and adapt some of these movements to mimic the sporting demands of the athlete whatever okay. it may be. And that's when you start to put your kind of creative hat on and think, well, it's a runner, so let's mimic some running drills. Is that maybe one of the um, the common mistakes that you see runners make, that they don't adapt their gym work to suit what they're going to be doing? I, I think it's more the other way around. I think what, the, and, and this is true to all sports, really not just running, the biggest mistake I see is people missing out step one. So they see people doing the stuff that looks like running, but they, they miss out step one, which is just getting robust enough to produce the force in the first place you can't produce specific force i.e throw something run fast run up a hill if you can't produce just force to begin with so you you can't you can't make sports specific strength drills for someone who's not strong so step one get strong then do the fancy stuff but what i see time and time again is people want to do the fancy stuff um, but they don't want to do the the stuff that perhaps looks a little bit more mundane to begin with. It's like, okay, yep, you're going to squat and you're going to squat some more and you're going to deadlift and you're going to do pull-ups. I remember you loving those. <laughs> and, and so how many times a week <clears throat> should runners be in the gym at the moment? Um, in this early stages, I try and get them in three times because it, it's building up frequency in those fundamental, you know, get strong movements. You, you, you squat, you hinge, you push, you pull. And just repeat. It is a bit like the early stages of your running program, which is you're just going to build up some volume. It's a little bit mind-numbing. But if you get through it, you can then start to do the fun stuff and it won't hurt. And that's what everybody wants. <laughs> so that is obviously the ideal. But there are so many of us which don't have enough time in our week or potentially live far from a gym or have kids so can you build the strength up at home using body weight? Yeah, or? you can. Yeah, obviously it's a little harder. Um, external load. If So if you, if you want somebody to get stronger in any capacity, there's a principle called progressive overload, which is reasonably self-explanatory, but that means you need to add load or volume in order to get stronger. Um, and so, when you say load, that's like weights. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you if you if you need to produce an increased amount of force, you have to be able to produce that force against something, uh, which to begin with absolutely can be your body weight. But there'll come a point where that's not enough to get stronger. Even though running is a body weight activity, if we consider that you've got to withstand a lot of force, you've got to withstand a lot of impact when you run. You have to be able to deal with forces greater than your body weight. So you can absolutely get started with that, but there then will come a point where you'll need some kind of external load. That doesn't have to be in a fancy gym. That can be with anything at home. It can be, you know, bottles of orange squash, you know, <laughs> just think of anything, any, anything at all. Uh, I mean, a weight is just a, it's just a weight. I mean, everything has some kind of weight. So it could be, you know, if you've got children, use your children. It can be, <laughs> <laughs> there you go that's luke's tip use your kids to build strength and what about staying injury free uh, there's obviously been a massive trend in mobility and activations bef before both runs and gym work what's your thinking yeah well that? firstly good i'm a big fan of that um but just to kind of backtrack a little bit it's probably worth explaining that there's a quite a big difference between mobility and flexibility okay and and we shouldn't really confuse the two uh, flexibility is a body's ability to move through a range of motion mobility is a, a body's ab a ability to actively move through that range of motion so if you think of somebody who does 
a ton of yoga, mm-hmm. for example, yoga will passively allow you to get into some quite obscure positions, but passively because you're using the as- assistance of the floor, your body weight, sometimes a partner or the instructor or some way of getting you to the end range of that activity of that yeah. or that position, um, and then just kind of chilling out, which is the whole purpose of the practice, which is mm-hmm. wonderful and makes people feel great. However, that is not active mobility. So active mobility is your ability to access that yourself. So somebody who's done a ton of passive stretching, either through yoga or or just partner-assisted stretching, or they just love stretching for whatever reason, might be able to stand up and have somebody push their leg above their head. But if you just ask them to stand there and lift their leg up as high as they can get it, they might just get it the size of their waist, for example. Right. Whereas if you look at somebody like a ballerina, they can just stand there and do that. So that's the difference between an active range and a passive range. Now, the reason I mention that is because to injury-proof somebody or bulletproof somebody, you want to get the difference between their active range and their passive range as small as possible. There's a really close correlation, and and so mobility work and activation work should always work hand in hand. Okay. So mobility work should always be active and dynamic. Yeah. So it should be you getting yourself into a position, getting yourself out of it, getting into it again, getting yourself out of it. And then you follow it up with activation. So learning how to connect brain to muscle um, at that end range. What are the key mobility exercises and activations for runners? So if you wanted to build a real simple sequence, so it would be a dead bug is a great place to start. A dead bug, for those who don't know, is, although actually it probably should be called a dying bug rather than a dead bug, because a dead <laughs> thing doesn't move at all, really. But if you, so you lay on your back, arms and legs up in the air, and you're alternating movement. So you're mimicking running basically with your arms and your legs whilst trying to maintain your core activation by keeping your body stationary on the floor. Mm-hmm. So you're literally laying on the back, waving your legs and arms in the air. Yeah. Is, is pretty much what it looks like. And as you're doing that, you're training your body to keep your midsection and your torso stable and braced whilst moving your limbs around that that solid middle. Cool. Glute bridges are feet on the floor, driving hips up to the air. We'll do the same thing. Activate your glutes, which is your bum, whilst keeping everything else braced, um, which, again, super important for runners. Um, and that's when you can then move on to specifically mobilising your hips and your shoulders. So we've got dead bugs. Yeah. Glute bridges. Glute bridges. All right, I would then move someone into something like a, a dynamic pigeon. So that pigeon yoga pose. So stepping in and out of something like that is wonderful. Um, stepping in and out of a forward lunge, a lateral lunge, a reverse lunge. Ideally, all three, if you've got time, would be great. Getting your hips to move in in three planes would be a wonderful thing to do before you run or train or do anything else in life, really. Shoulders, I like to integrate that with upper back mobility, so thoracic spine mobility. So your sideline windmills, your thoracic rotations, all of those are great as well. If you want to get really fancy, you can you can kind of sequence all of these things together, which then starts to look a little bit like a little yoga flow, but it's not. <laughs> um, so I'll quite often have people bounce all of those things together. So move from the dead bugs into the glute bridges, and then we'll just fly through you know, a dynamic pigeon into a dynamic lunge, integrating a, a windmill or a reach around or, you know, T-spine rotation, all in all in the same movement. And then just do it a few times yeah. around. Yeah. So the whole thing should probably take you 10 minutes. Amazing. And so I've got time for one more question. Yeah. This year, 
What is your one ultimate tip for runners? Get strong. Get strong. And don't give up. <laughs> and there you go. So that was Luke Worthington, guys. He is the guy which I credit my marathon journey 2018 to, well, especially for staying injury free. Um, there were plenty of times in the gym when I honestly thought, dear God, this is really boring. Um, <laughs> didn't I? Yeah. But then um, it got to race day and I was so glad that I had put in all of those hours in third space because at three hours in when everything was really 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 hurting it was amazing to still be running strong so that is a bit about my journey last year and why i invited luke on the show today so thank you very much luke thank you where can everyone follow you um instagram is the the easiest place so my instagram handle is at luke w training um, my website lukeworthington.com great thanks very much thank you You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So for today's conversational run chat, I have come out to Salisbury to meet with a really inspiring runner slash adventurer called Wendy. Um, and we are just about to set off on a run. So hi, Wendy. Hey, hi. How are you doing? I'm good. How good are you? you? Yeah, I'm great. Thank you. Yeah, good. all good. Good to see you. I'm just going to start my watch so oh, we yes. can track the Me all too. important miles. <laughs> so Wendy, at the moment, you are currently running around with a tyre aren't you a lot of the time it's a bit of a strange one but um so running or walking with a tire is the uh, closest you can get to training for a polar journey in the uk where there's not a lot of snow and uh later on this year i hope very much to be standing at the start point of a solo journey in antarctica a solo journey in antarctica what 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 are you planning to do <laughs> Um, so the plan is to be dropped off at a place called Hercules in there, which is on the coastline of Antarctica, and then to ski solo to the South Pole to try and break the women's speed record for being the fastest solo woman to do that journey. Wow. And so what is the current record? So it's currently held by an amazing woman called Johanna Davison. And she did it in 38 days, 23 hours and five minutes. Those five minutes are very important. So anything under that will be breaking the record. But it's, I've got to cover 
15 nautical miles every day, which is about 17 ordinary miles. But I'm pulling a polk, which is a special sledge with all my feed and equipment, which will weigh somewhere in the region of 85 to 90 kilos. So why, why this mega challenge? What, what was the driver to go from just being somebody who worked out to now a woman who's gonna try and break a record over the course of many more days than a month? <laughs> um, I looked after a team who did a, an Antarctic crossing. I thought, I wonder if I could have got something like that. And I think, like when you're running a marathon and you join a running club and people run marathons every weekend, it normalises it and it makes it seem like the best I do in the world. So, <laughs> and not at all crazy. And uh, that was a sort of dream and uh, that basically became a bit of an idea and the idea became a plan. And uh, here I am now about, I don't know, 40 odd weeks from flying down to Antarctica. So that, by the time I reach the South Pole, hopefully uh, end of December or early January 2020, it would have taken me the best part of five years to plan, train, raise the money. It's going to be a huge number of miles, but I'll just tick it off day by day. And uh, if you do something every single day towards your bigger goal, all of a sudden, there you are, you've kind of, you've done it. You know, it's sort of investing in the bank that I'm going to then withdraw from every single day I'm on the trek, so. And so do you think, do you think now in your 40s, you're, you're gearing up for your fittest decade yet and your fittest year yet, like both in body and mind, or? It's gotta be my fittest year yet. <laughs> you know, I don't have a choice in that. And if I don't put the work in, I don't think I'd make it. And so I have this amazing coach from E3 Endurance Coaching. He's like a virtual coach because he does exist, but we've only ever met once. And uh, so he sends me things I need to do each day. And all I have to do is do them. Right. But that must be easier said than done with four children and a day job. Oh, yeah. So I was out the other night with my tyre and it was kind of maybe half eight and I'd been out for an hour and a half and uh, that training session was pull a tyre behind you for 15 minutes, stop, turn around and walk back because dragging it for five minutes and so on and so on. So I got back and I just thought everyone else is kind of snuggled up in their house, eating their supper, watching the telly, you know, but it's those times when you least feel like it. Yeah. Because when you, you know, you, you really have to kind of dig deep to go get out there. Back to preparing for, for the expedition. How many hours of fitness do you think you're doing at the moment? I'm doing about 10 and a half hours a week right. at the moment. I know I'll need to be doing a little bit more than that. Maybe 14, maybe a bit more in a month or so. So I've only, I started on Christmas Eve um, because I knew that if I 
waited to start until New Year, I would have a massive blowout at Christmas and eat all the chocolate and lose a lot of my sort of functional fitness that I already had. So I was out on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. I definitely got some funny looks that day. <laughs> so people out on their family walks and there I was up and down the local hill. Navistock Hill in Salisbury with my massive 4x4 tyre. <laughs> I love uh, that. Even after only three, four weeks, I can see and feel the difference. So that is quite sort of heartening that you, you know, you feel you're getting somewhere, I suppose. The first time round when I did marathons and things, I just went for lots of runs. Yeah. And I realise now that, you know, that probably wasn't the most effective way of training. It was an effective way of getting injured. When you're putting your pulk, it's all from your sort of core and your where you'd wear a waist belt if you're wearing a rucksack, that kind of place. A lot of it's from there, so core and legs is what it's about, definitely. It does, it does sound quite terrifying. I think, for me, it's about trusting your own judgement. OK. But what you've done is the correct thing. You have to put your tent up the right way. You know, you haven't pushed yourself too far that day. And not having any sort of outside calibration to say, yeah, that's fine. So the biggest risks are things like frostbite, hypothermia. And that's a very real risk because obviously it's cold, but once you get sort of to a certain stage of hypothermia, you can't look after yourself. Right. So, so you know, you know, that's a real, a real danger. So self-awareness all the time, you know, are my hands too cold? What's my core doing? Because you can actually get, quite easily get too hot because you're expending and generating so much body heat with putting the pulk that if you sweat, that then freezes inside your jacket and makes you super chilled and then that's when you're at risk of hypothermia. So as counterintuitive as it sounds, sometimes it's about staying cool enough. How are you fueling all of this training at the moment? And then, so while I'm actually on expedition, I'm sort of fairly happy with the received wisdom about how many calories you take, what they're made up of. Is it a lot of calories? So you can burn up to 10,000 calories every day. Oh my gosh. Um, but uh, there's a tipping point where you can't carry any more than about 6,000 before you waste more energy carrying it than you do, than you save by eating it. Right. And so... So you're always going to be in a bit of a deficit? There's always a deficit. Right. There are different schools of thought about whether you should eat all the cake before you go. Yeah. <laughs> or, but it's quite hard to put on weight when you're training so hard. You know, I'll try and... Apparently ice cream and beer are the best things for calories <laughs> beforehand. But at the moment, it's totally unscientific. I'm trying to eat well, you know, eat healthy. But I'm just so hungry all the time that, you know, I'm probably 25% donuts at the moment. So. <laughs> Have you always had this wild streak? I think that's always been there. But... 
because I had a family quite early, that never kind of, I'm not saying I had to sort of sit on it and suppress it, because I was always, you know, I started doing Race for Life when my youngest was sort of a year or so old and uh, built it up from there. And uh, so this is a bit of me that's always been there latent. And, uh, you know, I've got sort of the opportunity and well, I've created the opportunity to kind of invest in that a little bit more now because we're so good at feeling guilty about doing those things for ourselves. It's always a juggle. It doesn't matter what your sort of ambition is or whether you've got kids or not or everyone's got busy lives and it is just about trying to wedge a little bit of time in but do it, you know, prioritise it as well. Make it precious to you and, uh, you know, stick with it. Yeah, I'm going to make you talk up the hill now. (laughs) It's so easy, isn't it, Um, to put fitness or even just being active at the bottom of the list of priorities. There was a lot of days last year when, you know, my gym sessions did drop off the list because something else had to be dealt with. But then I suddenly realised that I then just felt quite frustrated on those days. But this year's marathon training is plugged in. And don't get me wrong, there, there are going to be some, some weeks when I might have to move it or I might have to be a bit smarter with my runs and maybe split a long distance over two runs, go from and to work. But yeah... I find that when you make a date with yourself, you're less likely to cancel it. Yeah, and sometimes you don't want to do it, but then you've done it and you feel powerful and invincible and like you could take on anything. And that feeling is what you just need to keep building on to make those sessions longer or bigger or harder or those dreams bigger. And who are you, what's the charity that you're raising money for? I'm raising money for... ABF, the Soldiers' Charity, which is the national charity of the British Army. They're an amazing organisation. We really help, you know, where there's genuine need from soldiers and veterans and families. So, And then the Youth Adventure Trust, which is a Swindon and Wiltshire-based charity, but maybe one day they'll take on the world. A bit like you. <laughs> they uh, give you a disadvantaged young people the chance to go and experience some of those outdoor adventures I aim to raise at least as much as it's costing me to go uh, for charity do you mind me asking how much that is it's about 50,000 pounds wow okay so and that cost is just the logistic support getting you into Antarctica and out again because fuel is so expensive to get down there and then use while you're in Antarctica. And also the logistics company don't provide sort of 24-hour medical advice. They look after all the environmental concerns, so the logistics place they build, they remove all the waste at the end of each season. They're your emergency cover as well, so if you have a medical emergency or you decide you've had enough, they will come and fetch you. So they're really key. It's essential. Um, you know, I kind of miss that 
charity aspect to my work now that I'm a civil servant and the uh, adventure side of it is something I really believe in you know that it's not about the kind of person that goes on adventures or expeditions it's about what expeditions and adventures what kind of person that can make you and you know it's life-changing it definitely has been for me without wanting to sound totally naff it's been as much about the journey as it has been about the big goal so should I reveal the name that I've chosen for this expedition to you now? Yes! The, the journey is going to be called The Path Less Travelled. Oh! So there's a, there's a poem by Robert Frost, and I can't remember it verbatim, although I should learn it, but it basically says, I went for a walk in a wood, and I came to a fork in the path, and I, I took the path less travelled by, and that made all the difference. And for me, it's about saying to people, it doesn't, don't necessarily do what people expect of you. you. It's up to you to define your own way and your own decisions. It's also literally something that not many people choose to do, polar travel. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, and it all gets very sort of silly if you kind of start saying, well, I'm the first 41-year-old with size five and a half feet to ever do this journey. But, <laughs> There's a, an awesome polar traveller called Anne Daniels and I totally take my hat off to her. She's amazing. This particular journey has ever been done by a mum. And so it's about a little bit about all of those things, about the choices we make. And sometimes you have to choose the more difficult thing, but that's so much more worth it in the end. Yeah. So you're, you're the first to find out. Wow. What, what an amazing run that was. And to be out and to hear your story. Um, I kind of wish we had the rest of the day just to keep going, but sadly we don't. So to round this off, what is the date which you're setting off this year? How many days have you got left to go? So it'll be sometime around mid-November, um, still to be exactly confirmed. But uh, it's kind of insane that we're talking about weeks now rather than months or years because in it's in sort of almost five years in the making and when now we're talking about weeks it's kind of a bit of a ground rush effect it's totally kind of yeah this is going to happen now and that's what's you know that is a big part of things right now so um yeah you can all please follow uh, on instagram i'm at between snow and sky my website is southpole2020.com if you're interested in my GoFundMe page, there's a little bit of um, how you can get involved and actually be part of the journey. Um, if you go on to GoFundMe and search South Pole 2020, you can find out what that is. And um, if anybody has any questions about, you know, how you actually kind of start on polar travel, I'd be, I'm always delighted to talk to people about that for, you know, hours on end. So, uh, yeah, hit me up. So if there was one thing that you were hoping your adventure challenge expedition amazingness is is going to do for the listeners and the world what is it it's such a massive question and i reveal to you the name of the expedition is going to be the path less traveled so it's definitely about encouraging people to have courage and you only get that from going out and doing things so you know you start small but you're doing something if if it's a 5k if you can run a 5k you can run a 10k if you can run a 10k you can run a marathon and you build it up from there so um you know go out there and do it amazing thank you so much and i can't wait to bring you guys the next episode next week thank you Thank you so much for listening to Welfare, your guide to conquering 26.2. 
If you've enjoyed this episode, please do take 30 seconds to rate and review us on iTunes. It really does make all the difference and I and the team read absolutely everything you write, which means the world to us. New episodes will be released every Sunday on all the usual podcast platforms, so please do subscribe and never miss a notification. Until then, thanks again to all of you for listening and supporting us and thanks to Mags Creative, the producers of this show. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.